Perfect. We are in our third part of our six weeks in Psalms, and we are looking at Psalm 84 today. So if you have Bibles, um, I would love you to open those up and get to Psalm 84. If not, don't worry, it's going to be on the screen. So we're going to get along to that in a short bit. Now, last weekend, we had a, a, a quieter weekend as a family, and those are called family days in Layla, my oldest daughter's terminology. And that means that mommy and daddy are at home for the whole day, and the excitement and the smile is infectious. So what we did is literally got home from church, and from that moment on, for basically the whole afternoon, uh, it was just one activity to the next to the next. And so Erin was in um, with Sarah and we're doing some sort of play stuff, but Layla was like, I just need dad and I need dad to myself. And often she, tried, she tests this out. She's just like, dad, let me tell you a secret. So she goes, let's go to the trampoline, but let's not take Erin. And, uh, <laughs> and it's her way of going like, I just want dad time. She does love her sister, but I, I just want dad time. So we had this whole afternoon uh, from literally when I got back from church, the whole afternoon of different activities. And there's a lot of different things we do. So we play coffee shop games. Those happen either inside in the playroom or they happen outside in the Wendy house. And so she is the waitress. She's the chef. She's everything. And she comes with her, um, with, it's actually a plastic cookie and a stick, which is uh, her writing down the orders. And uh, she, you know, she knows what you're supposed to order. And so if, if you ask for something else, you don't get it. So she'll just say, so dad, um, I'll say, what's on the menu? Well, there's like a hamburger and there's a milkshake. And then I'll say, well, could I have a Coke? No, there's a milkshake or there's a hamburger. So sometimes we play this game. And then I just sit quite far away on a chair and she comes across from the kitchen. She takes the order and she goes back. And the whole time you can just see she's fixated. She's like, dad, are you concentrating? Are you involved? Are you involved in what I'm doing? And then she's like, dad. We need to go to the trampoline again without Erin. So off we go, and we're jumping on the trampoline. We're doing wild things that we never do when mom's there. Um, otherwise, she'd have a heart attack. And uh, we are, we're doing crazy things, and we're jumping. Dad, can I jump on top of you? Dad, please jump with me. Then we go to the, this, our next-door neighbor's house, um, and then we go to the tennis court, and there we play school games. And school games is just another incredible time where she gets to be the teacher. She loves that. Um, and uh, sometimes I get to be her helper, or sometimes I'm a student. But we, we, play, we play these games and at the, the hard, what's it called, the practice wall. That's where the toilets are, so we have to take the children, all the imaginary children. And then there's naughty children who are hiding in different parts. And we go and we get them and we, well, we do give them a smack, but these pretend children. But obviously, to be politically correct, they sit on the naughty chair. So, uh, but, but in our game, we give them wax. And uh, then we go and we, we try and rescue frogs from the swimming pool, and we just, but the whole time, there's a glint in her eye, and there's this excitement, and she's just like, Dad, why are you watching? Dad, should we do this together? Dad, should we do this together? And um, I, I'm trying to concentrate as much as I can, you know, for, for the period, and I purposely don't take my phone now, and parents, that's a great thing that we should never do when we're spending time with our children, is have our phone anywhere near us as a distraction. So I don't do that, but the point of the story is, is that in those moments, all that she wants is dad's attention. She's desperate for it. She is longing for it. All she wants is to know that dad is engaged, that he's concentrating, and that he wants to be spending time with her. And what we're going to cover today in Psalm 84, in many respects, is about that. They sum it up today. Because the title, as you look at it, is My Soul Longs for the Courts of the Lord. In some Bibles, it will say that. And this father-daughter time is just a glimpse of what our relationship with God should be. 
just a glimpse, when we know who God is, it's one of those things like Layla, where it's just like, I just want to be with you, Jesus. I just want to be with you, God. I just want to be in your presence. And it's the same, and I obviously do it in a, in a terrible way compared to how God does it, but it's the same from the Father's perspective of, I just want to be spending time with you. I just want to be doing things and being with you. And so I suppose, although it's titled Psalm 84, my soul longs for the courts of the Lord, maybe this morning the question could be for each of us here today in different journeys of faith, what are you longing for? Maybe that could be the title, what are you longing for? So let's read it together. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. Even the sparrow finds a home. And the swallow a nest for herself, where she may lay her young at your altars, O Lord of hosts. Some translations would say, O Lord of armies. Gives a bigger picture of who God is. My King and my God. Blessed, and other translations would say, um, favored or happy are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. Selah. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, in whose heart are the highways to Zion. As they go through the valley of Baca, which Ian just shared, a very dry and desolate place uh, on the journey to the city of Jerusalem, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. They grow from strength to strength. Each one appears before God and Zion. O Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Selah. Behold our shield, O God. Look on the face of your anointed. For a day in your courts or a day in the temple, I'll share a bit more about the Psalms context, is better than a thousand elsewhere. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed, blessed is the one who trusts in you. And so this Psalm to give some context from where it was written, was written really about the journey, the pilgrimage to Jerusalem. So Israelite people, Jewish people, would um, at certain times of the year perform sort of a pilgrimage where they would get to go to the temple in Jerusalem. And it would be something where they're all packed with family. They would either walk, some of the wealthier may have camels or something, but it would be been a long journey and a long trek which involved sacrifice to get to the temple of God where God's presence was where his presence was. And so what happened is, is in, in the Old Testament, the older part of the Bible which you read, is about the temple having a huge significant role or place because that is where God's presence dwelt. And when Jesus came, and when he died and he rose again for our sins, what he did is, and in fact in that moment, the foundation of the temple shook, the curtain was torn in two, and what it symbolized is that we no longer need to head across to a certain place to experience God, but we can experience Him individually because He transforms us from the inside out. And so this psalm, this pilgrimage picture, is in many respects for us now an example or a, or a picture of us and our journey towards Christ because we get to have a relationship with Him 24-7 if we choose and that's the incredible news of the gospel. The fact that Jesus Christ has opened the opportunity for us to have a personal relationship with the living God. 
We don't pray to him in the distance. We don't have to know him as there's a God somewhere out there. There's, a, there's the big guy in the sky or there's a sovereign God somewhere. I think there is a God. No, we can know him personally. We can have a relationship with the living God because of what he did for us on the cross. And just to back up this change in 1 Corinthians 3, 16, it says, do you not know, this is the New Testament Paul writing, uh, but when Jesus has come and uh, he's already risen again, do you not know that you are God's temple, that God's spirit dwells in you? You see that change? People would go on a journey to the temple to encounter God. And now Jesus says, no, once you become a Christ follower, once your life has changed, you become the temple. Because God's spirit and his presence is within you and you can encounter it. So it's just astounding what Jesus did for you and I on the cross. And so as we journey through this song, I want you to have in your minds wherever you are on that journey of faith, the fact that we can know God intimately and we can know him personally. We have the mind-blowing privilege of that, this side of the cross of Christ. We get to worship, as it were, in the temple every day because we are the temple. Because Jesus lives within. So this is what the psalmist writes, the first little part. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. Talking about the temple. My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. He's struggling to get across his desperation for God's presence. He's struggling to, to get to it. My heart and my flesh sing for the living, with joy for the living God. So I've got some pictures about people thirsty or going off someone. There's a little bit of a giraffe, for those of you who can see. And uh, there's this little spout of water in the desert, and the giraffe's almost passed out. But this giraffe, that, that's a picture of an animal that is desperate for water. Uh, here's, I know this is a sort of set-up one, but think of an example as well. This person in the desert, and you get across this ice-cold water, and you are desperate. I don't know if you've been on a run, or maybe you've been on a long trek, and you've run out of water, or you forgot to bring it, and there's this parched desperation for liquid, for water, that, uh, that comes upon you. Now this is obviously real stories of those in the desert and this is the search for water. You can just see this picture of this little boy holding up his, his sort of jar or plastic tub, desperate for just a little taste of water to quench his thirst. And here's a, a mission happening uh, where people are getting given packets of water and uh, these, these children are desperate. It's like that's their prized possession, just give me water. Forget about everything else, but I'm desperate for water. For some periods in our childhood, I'll leave that up for now, uh, we didn't have a huge amount of money in our early childhood years, and, but we, we, God was always so good and we still had the opportunity to go to South Africa. Someone would either give us a flat uh, somewhere or, or we would get to go down, but we would go down with, with not really much to, to, to enjoy your experience in terms of monetary things. So we'd head down to Belito and at that stage, for those of you who've been there recently, all there was was this little spa shop. That's what there was for those of you who visited. Tiny spa and nothing else. Now it's massively built up. But there were these moments, sometimes one, sometimes two, when we were staying there, where we would have the opportunity and a little bit of money to get something that we wanted from the spa. And so we would head down to the spa shop. And we, we didn't have enough for a lot, but maybe it would be, um, for me, at that time, I had a craving for South African poloni. And so for me, my money, my five grand or whatever that my mom and dad would, uh, would, would give us, I was like, well, it's going to be spent on poloni for me. Give me five slices, give me seven, and I just eat it like that. Such healthy stuff, amazing. Um, and uh, it, it might be a packet of sweets, but we would have these sort of treats when we were in shopping, and it wasn't a lot of money at all, but for children who, 
at that period of our lives, and we, we've, the, the Lord's been so good in many different phases, we didn't have a lot. It was the most incredible treat. We just got so excited. We're going to spa and we get to, well, for me, so I get to have five slices of bologna. Um, for my brother and sister who aren't as wild, it was probably sweets or it was a chocolate or something. But we, we craved those opportunities. And when we had them, it filled us with joy because it wasn't something normal. It was something extra ordinary. And too much of a good thing, unfortunately, can lead to a loss in excitement or gratitude if we aren't careful. It's why many people who are in a wealthier context, children, their children who've been given everything and everything that they want, too often, there actually isn't a joy when they receive presents. Or it's like, oh, that's nice, where's the next present? Because it's just the normal. And the same can be said for the opportunity we have to be in God's presence. Because we now have this opportunity every single day to walk with God because of what Jesus did on the cross, we can so easily lose the wonder and the joy and the excitement of being in His presence. Each year, we have 12 months, 52 weeks, 365 days, 4,380 hours, 262,800 minutes to spend in God's presence. And for the people writing this psalm, they would have one opportunity in the year probably to just have a taster of what it meant to be in God's presence on their trek, on their pilgrimage to the temple. It is so easy for us to take for granted the fact that we can enter into the living God's presence every day at every moment as Christ follows. It, become, it can become boring. It can become unimportant. And I pray today that in some senses, even if you think of it in terms of five slices of bologna, in some senses... You get the wonder again, afresh, of what it means to be able to enter into God's presence. And if you've never experienced it, because you've never even opened your eyes to the fact that there is a living God who wants to have a relationship with you, you might get a taste of it today. And I hope that's the case. Maybe you're here today and you don't know Christ and your life has been going along fine and there's business and there's family and there's holidays. Maybe life has been bumbling along, but you just have a sense that something's missing. You just have a sense that there has to be a little bit more excitement or purpose to the life that you're leading. I want to invite you to explore that in Jesus Christ. So we go a little bit further. Uh, it jumps on um, in verse, let me just get back to this. So my heart and flesh cry, um, sing for joy to the living God. Even the sparrow finds a home. And then I'll, sorry, I missed it there. And the swallow a nest for herself, where she may lay her young at your altars, O Lord of hosts my king, excuse me, and my God. So this is verse 3 and 4, and the, the psalmist is talking about sparrows, about swallows, small birds, fairly frail, probably die fairly easily. I almost ran over a few on the drive here, and I thought, wouldn't that have been an awesome story, Lord? If I could have just killed one. I'm just but I, I thought it would be a great story of how frail they are, but I don't like taking out birds. But I did almost. I had to slam on brakes when I came, and I wasn't going very fast, but happy I didn't have to take them on. Um, so, so this is a picture of regardless of our frailty, regardless of where we think we're at as a person and the giftings and the abilities we have, we are accepted by God. The psalmist is saying, even the sparrow, these things are meaningless. They're nothing. They live and they die and we don't even know about it. Same with the swallow. Even them can find their home at the altar of God in God's presence. And I just want you to know today, so often, 
It's guilt of what we've done in the past or the way that we've lived or the way that we're living now that prevents us or makes us feel like we can't come towards God. But can I tell you that his arms are open and nothing is stopping from his side you coming into his presence. Don't let it be you that stops that. The, the, the story of the Bible is full of those in society who had been rejected, who God accepted. From murderers to tax swindlers, from prostitutes to adulterers. There is many, many examples in the Bible of God inviting those sorts of people, people with mess, people with issues in their lives, and saying, come into my presence. I accept you and let me help you transform yourself. So what we can take away from that today is it doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter what you're doing right now. Things in your life that you just go, there is no ways God could accept me because of that. There is no ways that he would accept me because of what I've done or how I'm living. He can and he will if you would come to him today. Just as the sparrows, I think I've got a short little picture um, how, how tiny uh, some of these things are. Just as they are important to God and he created them and he cares about them, you are so much more valuable. So much more valuable to him. Don't let something that you've done prevent you from coming towards him to see his forgiveness and his transformation. Great. So uh, now he, uh, he jumps along. And, and the, thing, uh, the psalm changes tone here. So there's been two things that we've covered. Firstly is, is there a desperation in your life? Is there a longing for God's presence? Secondly, nothing that you do or have done can prevent you from being in his presence if you come to him. And now the psalmist changes track and talks about the blessings and what comes about from being in his presence, the change that he brings from his presence. So I just want to um, jump back to this where it says, O Lord God, um, my King and my God, blessed are those who dwell in your house. They're ever singing for praise. And you get the sense that the psalmist is saying when someone encounters God, there's a joy in their life that they just can't explain. There's a joy and there's an excitement. It doesn't matter about surroundings. It doesn't matter about politics. There's just a joy that, that, that's almost uncontainable. And when you're around them, you're just like, there's something about those people. I've got to know what it is. This is what he's talking about when he says, those who dwell in your house, they're ever singing your praise. When you catch what it's like to be in God's presence, I tell you, there is a joy that can't be explained in an earthly sense. So joy is one of the huge things that we get. There's an internal joy. And I love this phrase when he says, my king and my God. You can only say that if God's transformed you. It's easy to say to someone, oh, God bless you. Or when things are hard to say, um, oh, you know, Lord, please help me. It's often a time in crisis when we come to him. But for you to say, my king, my ruler, the one I submit to you, and my God, that will only be said when you've been in his presence. When you know who he is, it's very easy to hand over control of your life to him. Very, very easy. When you don't know who he is, you sort of want to control and hang on to something. And uh, yes, maybe you want him to be the one who saves you and, and, and keeps you from trouble. But you don't really want him to rule your life. One of the byproducts of being in his presence and knowing that he accepts you as you are is it is a joy to give him the steering wheel of your life. And friends, that is the safest and most exciting place to be. And it's amazing that the person responsible most of the Psalms, David, and you see how he sung to the king of kings. David was one of the greatest kings that has ever been and ever will be. In fact, in terms of the temple, he's known for giving wealthiest a $6 billion gift to the temple because he wanted to. He had huge armies. He took down Goliath. But even for him with all his status and all of his prestige, 
he was able in many places to say, God, you're my source, you're my king. When you've been in God's presence, it's easy for you to say that. That transforms your life. So let's jump over here. We've got about 10 minutes to go. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, whose heart are on the highway to heaven. Blessed are you. That means happy. It means joyful. It means favored are those whose strength is in you. These people who experience joy and happiness and favor are people who are not trying to do life on their own, but as I said, are letting God take control. If you want to feel pressure, if you want to get, uh, get stressed, if you want to feel upset, it's to try and control your own life. Maybe you're sitting there and you're going, I am really upset, I am stressed, work life is really tough, I am upset. Can I tell you that's because you're trying to rule your own life? That's why. If you would give it over to the one true God who is actually in control of your life, even when you think that you are, you'll experience a blessing and a favor because you suddenly hand over that stress to Him. As soon as we hand over that, it happens. And I want to challenge you on that. So bless those people that gain strength from that, um, whose hearts are the highways to Zion. Their heart is fixed on pursuing God in His presence, on heading towards the temple, which is their own. As they go through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. So this place was a very desert-like region, and many had to cross it on their route to Jerusalem. So many had to walk through it, and there wasn't any nice place to get water for themselves or the camels or anything they were taking on the trip. It was dry, it was arid, it was a harsh place. The people had to go through to get to Jerusalem. And I love the pictures that came and the words that came affirming what God does in dry places. But look at this. It says that their strength is in you and their heart is on you. As they go through the valley um, of Baca, they make it a place of springs. Now this isn't talking about physically. They didn't obviously go in there on their journey and start digging wells and suddenly there was you know, amazing lakes and everything else. No, by their joy in their hearts, and by the way that they were living, that place that would have been a really sad, depressing place was a place of joy. Maybe they stopped there overnight on their way, but there would have been singing, there would have been laughter because they were on their way to um, the temple, on their way to experience who God was. They were still full of joy at the encounter they were going to have. When Christ is in your heart, you not only have joy in harsh times, but you bring joy to others in harsh times. That's one of the key indicators that God's at work in your life and that he's transformed you. That in the harsh times, the valleys that look like drought, you are the one who brings water. You're the one who brings nourishment to others because of the joy that's in your heart. And so if you're going through a tough time and, and, and you just notice there's sort of a depression building up or you listen to your speech and what you, you think and you just get a sense, this, this is really depressing what I'm saying, what I'm thinking. It just might be that you need to have some of God's presence in your life. One of the greatest blessings of being in Zimbabwe, I say blessing, and some people may question that, one of the greatest blessings is it shows you and I whether our faith is real. Because it's easy in a nation that's doing well and your bank balance is doing well, there's no uncertainty, it's really easy to get plugged into a church, it's really easy to give God your all, it's so simple. Because you're like, well, God, everything's going perfectly. Why wouldn't you be involved in my life? When things are difficult and when things are hard, it shows you and I whether we have a real faith or not. 
And that is a great blessing because it shows us where we stand with the King of Kings. So whilst I wouldn't say that we love a lot of what we go through and everything else, there is a blessing in that it points out to you and I the reality of our faith, whether it's real or whether it's not. So the challenge, brothers and sisters, is are we creating water sources in the desert places of our hearts and of other people's hearts? Are you bringing joy where there is no joy? Are you that sort of person? And if not, will you change your focus and your desire to Jesus and Him alone? If you'll give God your all, even in the tough times, you will receive His blessing. These people, verse 7, they go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. They go from strength to strength. If you give God your all, He will give you blessing and miraculous provision in the hardest times. It may be in different forms. It may not always be in a monetary sense. It may be in a relational or a spiritual sense. But He will do it. When I returned to Zimbabwe, it was uh, at the end of hyperinflation days. And everyone that I spoke to was just, why would you go back to that country? Both the Zimbabweans who were in Cape Town with me while I was studying, both the South Africans, that, and there was different opportunities to work in different places. And uh, when I made the decision to come back, they were just like, why would you do such a stupid thing? Why would you do that? And I've got friends who are moving back in the next uh, few weeks, um, uh, family friends, and uh, I think that they're facing the same sort of questions. There was uh, family friends uh, or friends of friends in church who were here last week. They've just moved back as well from New Zealand. I think many people are just like, why would you do something like that? It's almost like, it was almost like coming into the Valley of Tears. It had been through crazy economics when I came back at the end of 2008, I think, or nine. Um, and uh, the world was effectively my oyster as a youngster. Could have chosen uh, where to go. And it was like, why would you come back to this place? But you know what God's blessing looked like to me? It looked like his miraculous provision from getting random envelopes dropped off to give enough fuel to get to the end of the day. It looked like uh, us getting married, uh, working in a, in a setting, in a, in a faith setting with Zambezi holidays. We weren't earning a lot and uh, going on the most amazing honeymoon and the most, the most amazing holidays, not because of what we earned, but because of what people's generosity was. It looked like a joy in my heart, uh, which is still there today, to just be doing God's work in the country irrespective of people making fun of me because I was staying at mom and dad's house because I didn't have money to pay rent. I just couldn't care less because I was like, God, you are doing something in my life and in this place. There was a blessing that came from giving him the steering wheel and I want that for each of you. I so want that for each of you. God doesn't often take us out of desert places like Zimbabwe because he wants us to show his reality to others in this place. He wants us to show the reality of who he is in this place. And it's a miraculous reality. Jesus wants us to bring the springs that create green pastures where there was desert. I'm not always talking about, as I said, the physical. Ask the early church. They weren't flush with money. In fact, they were facing persecution. They were facing trial. But what they had inside of them was electric. And that's why the church grew at such a radical rate. Because people saw the reality of who God was in their trial. So I want each of us to grow from strength to strength. And that will happen by being connected to the King of Kings. Then it jumps to the last bit. And we sung a song you might have remembered as we get ready to land this and close. 
The psalmist says, a day in your courts, a day in your presence is better than a thousand elsewhere. A day in your courts, for lack of a better word. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. He's basically saying, a day in your courts is better than staying there. (laughs) That's one of the most beautiful places to stay in Mozambique. I haven't been there, but I'd love to. Um, And what he's getting across at is a day in your presence, genuine in the presence of God, is far better than that. It is far better than being at the World Cup final. A day in your presence is better than having the opportunity to be at a World Cup rugby or soccer final. It's better than having wads. Those are old US dollar bills, hey? They still work. Haven't seen one for years. Anyway, um, a day in your courts, Jesus, is better than all the wealth on earth. This is what the psalmist is trying to get across. A day in your courts is better than the best retirement that they could ever be. Having our private yacht, sailing wherever we want to as a retired couple. I wonder if that's true for you. It's not that those things are bad. Don't get me wrong, they're not bad at all. Holidays, amazing. Wealth, not a problem. Got to be careful, but not a problem. Those things that I showed are not bad things. But if they are the enemy of God's presence, they are a huge problem. If your wealth or your holidays or anything like that is preventing you from pursuing God and putting your trust in Him, then they are a major problem. So we can enjoy those. But I can tell you that 30 minutes, an hour, walking with God, being in His presence is better than a thousand anywhere else. I want you to experience that. And as a church, I want us to be people who experience his presence on a daily basis. And there is a spiritual battle going on as we get ready to close. Satan wants to distract us. He wants to murky the waters. He wants to provide candy-coated poison. He wants to give you a Sprite when, when all you actually really need is water. Sometimes hard to make the call to put Jesus first, to take that step of faith and say, okay, God, I'm really going to trust you. But it is the only way to experience real life on this earth and forevermore. He says, I'd rather be a doorkeeper, the lowest rung. I would rather be the the person who sweeps the floors, who opens the door for those coming into the temple in the house of God, than dwell in the tents of wickedness. I would rather be the lowest rung, but just make it into God's presence than experience all of everything society has to offer that doesn't line up with God's presence. Brother Lawrence, a famous man who washed dishes, and he says you can wash dishes for the glory of God. He was a monk. That's all he did. He washed dishes day in, day out. And he was full of joy because he was just like, I'm in God's presence. It's irrelevant that all I'm doing is washing dishes for other monks. I'm just in God's presence, and I love it. The Lord is a sun and a shield. He bestows favor and honor. A sun and a shield, that talks of protection, it talks of direction, it talks of warmth. That's what God is to you and I. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. I can guarantee you that I have not missed out one bit in my life from running hard after Jesus. I haven't done it perfectly. I'm, not, <laughs> I'm nowhere near perfect. But can I tell you that I've not missed out anything by giving God everything. And you won't either. You will not miss out on anything by giving God everything. 
God's goodness is anything that will bring us close to him. It doesn't mean easy life. If heaven and hell are real and Jesus is the only hope of the world, then his goodness is bringing you and I to a point of surrender. And maybe you're sitting in life going, everything seems to be going wrong. Everything I try doesn't seem to be working. And in fact, over the last 10 years, it just feels that there's toil and there's toil and there's hardship at every turn. And it doesn't seem to make any progress. Maybe, just maybe, the king of kings in his goodness is just trying to get you to bow the knee to the only one who can give you true life. Maybe, just maybe, he's doing that today. So the last bit. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. And trust in many respects. Final story before I close, that's okay. It's like a bungee jump. It's like a skydive, it's like a gorge swing. I've done the gorge swings a lot more scary than a skydive in which Sarah's done. (laughs) there's nervousness and excitement you sort of sign up for it and then as you get close to doing it you're suddenly like "Mm, I don't know if I should have done this but now I've paid the money I don't want to lose the money and uh, there's other people who are jumping off before you and you're like well I can if they're doing it before me I'm sure I'm going to be okay and uh, you see this excitement and obviously there's the first screams or there's silence and then there's like the, yeah, you know, from the other side as they get out the other side. But there's this nervous excitement, should I, shouldn't I? And then there's all the questions that go on in your mind. There's the questions of, but, you know, will the, will the elastic actually hold me? Will the parachute open? Does this instructor even know what he's doing? Uh, and yes, I know no one else has died doing it, but I might be that one. So, I mean, it's the best way to die if you do, but... Um, <laughs> Will the harness hold me? And then you've got a way up in your heart. There's those who've gone before you. There are instructors who've done it countless times. The equipment is there. But there is always a leap of faith. There is always that moment you go, in spite of everything I know, in spite of the reality, only I can take this step. And it's the only way I'll experience the exhilaration that those other people have faced who've gone before. And I can choose to turn around or sit here on the sidelines and watch from a distance. But it won't be the same as tasting it for what it is. Very much like faith. Where when it comes to the Christian faith, there's that moment where you, you, you look at the facts. You hear from people who talk about it. You see those who've gone before. But it is only when you take that leap, when you put your trust in Jesus and say, okay, take the steering wheel, that you get the opportunity to experience that exhilarating life. I think there's many people here today who are on the edge of an exhilarating ride with the Lord. A temple experience like the psalmist is talking about. A life paid for you by the blood of Jesus. And today might just be your time. Because there is one who died on a cross a few thousand years ago for you and I. And he rose again. Look at the facts. Look at the stats. He did that for you and he did that for I. So that we would be saved from our sin. So that we would experience true life in this lifetime. And forever in eternity. But it is going to take a leap. And even if you're a Christ follower here today. Maybe you've seen him as your saviour. That he saved you. But not as your Lord. Not as the one who rules and reigns. And you will have a constant battle for your whole life as a Christ follower. Until you can genuinely give him everything. Let's pray. There's probably people in different places. Just got a minute or so. And... There's so many great lessons for us in this. But Lord Jesus, I just want to pray particularly for uh, 
for two sets of people. For those of you who are running hard after God, you're enjoying his presence, you're bringing joy in the desert, keep running hard after him. Keep impacting the world for his name. Keep pointing people to him. For those of you who you know him as your savior, that he saved you from your sin, but you've never got to the place of seeing him as Lord. The two go hand in hand. You cannot experience Christ in his fullness if he is not Lord of your life. It's impossible. And so if you are a Christ follower here today and you have been struggling with um, situations around you, with relationships, with, with, with handing over the steering wheel, and there's kind of this constant battle where you, you want to have the joy of the Christian faith, but you also just want safety. You just want protection. You don't want to take that, that, that jump as it were. I want to challenge you today to take the leap into all that he's called you for. Don't sit on the sidelines as a Christ follower. Get in the field. Don't give him half of your life. Give him everything because that's what the gospel is. He gave everything for us. We get an opportunity to give him everything. And so if he's speaking to you and challenging you and encouraging you, today make the decision to, to leap and leap properly. And the final group, maybe there's those of you today who you've never experienced two years. You've maybe thought of him as a nice person far away or maybe you exist somewhere, but you've never encountered him as the living God. I want to say today that that is available to you. He's died on the cross for you. He's risen again. And today he invites you into true life, real life, purposeful life. And life with him everlasting. And if that's you, I'm not going to embarrass you or anything else. But I would love you to pop up your hand in boldness. No one's looking around. Everyone's heads are bowed. It's for me to see. But for you to just say, I've realized that actually I need him today. I've never given my life to him. And, and, and I want to do that today. And I want, to, I want to give him my all. Is there anyone here today? No one's looking around. I, I see a hand raised. That's amazing. Thank you for your, your courage and your boldness. Um, is there anyone else today? That's so, so incredibly exciting. You know what else? We just say, actually, I, I want him in my life. I want to have the temple of God inside me. I want forgiveness of my sin. Is anyone else? I see another hand raised. That's so exciting. Thank you for your boldness. I saw you at the back. That's great. Thank you, Jesus. What a, what a privilege to have two people say we, we want some of this. And I would um, love you two to be bold as I close the service. Please come and chat to me afterwards. Um, it's, it's, it's a way that I get to pray with you. I get to lead you in this prayer. And so um, you've raised your hand and said, this is what I want. Please come and see me afterwards, the two of you. I'd love to pray with you. I won't take a long time, but I just want to lead you in what it means to ask him into your life today. Thank you, Jesus, for this amazing time we've had together. Thank you for uh, what you're doing in our lives and kids' lives and parents' lives. I just ask that um, as we go into tea and into coffee and hang out together, that we'd experience who you are. In your amazing name we pray. Amen.